This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Man is depraved, but God. But God has a solution to that depravity. God has a solution to man being under sin. And the solution is found in these verses. The solution is found in a word. It's the word justification. Justification. It's a big, long word, but it describes what happens to a person who believes Christ as their Savior. Justification. It's found 22 times in the book of Romans, and it's found mostly in chapters 3, 4, and 5. Because we come now to a whole new section. Paul has described man's plight, his depravity. But now he needs to provide us with a solution. You see, man will never reach out for a Savior until he understands that he has a problem. He has a need. He needs to be forgiven. So that was Paul's task in chapters 1, 2, and 3 up to this point. To establish the fact that man has a problem, but God has a solution. What is God's solution? Justification. Justification. It's actually defined for us in verse 20. Look with me at verse 20 in this same chapter. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. Now, some of you in your translations, it says, be justified, does it not? It says, uh, therefore, no one will be justified. Two times in my Bible, instead of using the word justified, it uses these words declared righteous. Because what justification means is to be declared righteous. It's God declaring us righteous. That's what justification is. God declares us righteous, and he declares us not guilty. We are not guilty, and we're declared righteous. Now, three things he says about justification. First of all, he says this, justification is apart from the law. Justification is apart from the law. Now, Paul has been talking about the law because the Jews felt that the law brought righteousness. If we can just keep the law, then we can be righteous in the sight of God. And Paul refuted that. Paul said, that's just not true. You can't find righteousness in the law. As a matter of fact, that's not the purpose of the law to bring righteousness. The purpose of the law is to expose sin. That's its purpose. And we see that also back in verse 20 at the very end. It says, the law, uh, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. If you want to do an exercise this week uh, to discover what the law does, let me ask you to do this. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. In that chapter, we find the Ten Commandments. 
Read through the Ten Commandments sometime this week, and you'll discover if you read it with an open heart and prayerfully, you'll discover what the law does. What the law will do is expose your sin. You won't get too far into the Ten Commandments when you'll start to say to yourself, wow, (laughs) I'm failing in that one. No other gods before me. No other graven images. Whoa. There's a lot of things I put before God in my life. You can't get too far in the Ten Commandments when your sin will be exposed. But that's what the law does. The law exposes sin and convicts of sin. So the law never brought righteousness. And so Paul says, justification is apart from the law. Get that out of your mind. Remove that thought that somehow through the law you can be righteous. It just is not true. The second thing he says about justification is that it comes through faith in Christ. Justification, being declared righteous, comes through faith in Christ. At the very beginning of verse 22, it says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, faith is only as good as the object in which you place your faith. When you came to church this morning, You put your faith in your car that it was going to bring you to church. When you sat in your pew, you had faith in that pew that it's going to hold you until the end of the service. Your faith is only good as the object in which you put your faith. Our faith is put in the Son of God. It's put in Jesus Christ. And it needs to be personal. It needs to be individual. It's believing in Jesus that he died for your sins on the cross. It's believing that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's putting faith in Jesus as the object. Jesus is the object of your faith. It's believing who he is and he did what he said he did. Righteousness with God comes through Jesus alone. Faith in Christ But he says something else about justification. He says that it comes by grace. At the beginning of verse 24, he says, All are justified freely by His grace. Although all have sinned, and we all deserve to be be declared guilty, because of grace, we get what we don't deserve, and that is righteousness. That's what grace is. Grace grace is getting something that we don't deserve. You don't deserve to be declared righteous, but because of your faith in Jesus and by God's grace, you are declared righteous. Now, I saw something as I was studying that I hadn't seen before. You know, when I read verse 24 before, and maybe you did the same thing, uh, you kind of just read straight through it like this, and all are justified freely by his grace. Freely, grace is free. It's free grace. But do you know what the word freely really means? This is the first time I think I ever really looked at this word. Usually you come and you look at grace and you study the word grace. But I thought, you know what? There's this word freely. Why would you have freely with grace? Because grace is free. Why have these in the same phrase? And I found this word freely used in another passage of Scripture Back in John chapter 15. Back in John chapter 15, Jesus is telling his disciples that he can't be with them all the time. 
There's day going to come when he's going to leave. He's going to even the sea. I'm going back to be with my heavenly father, and you're going to be alone. So he says to his disciples, when I leave and you remain, I want you to go out into the world. But he warns them. He says, the, war, the world is going to hate you. But he said, that's okay, because the world also hated me. But he says this, and I quote, the world hated me without reason. There's no reason to hate Jesus. Jesus never did anything to anybody for people to hate him. The words without reason is the same Greek word that is used freely here. Let's put those words here in this text. And all are justified without reason by his grace. In other words, God had no reason in the world to declare you righteous. He had no reason in the world to look at you and say, I'm going to love you and I'm going to save you. He had no reason to do that. God didn't look at you and say, oh, now there's a good one. There's one good one. There are not many good ones in the world, but there's a good one. I want that one and I want that one over there. Why? Because, well, there's, there's this little bit of goodness. What did we just read? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who does good. There's no one who understands God. There's no one who seeks God. The Bible speaks of mankind as being dead in trespasses and sins. We are spiritually corpses. How does a corpse reach out to God? He doesn't. God has to take the initiative freely, without any reason. God Reach down to you. He didn't see something in you that caused him to love you a little bit. You're depraved. There's nothing good in you. There's no righteousness in you. It's without reason. God, by his grace, has saved us. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. We don't deserve it. But grace says, I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm going to give it to you anyway. That's grace. You see, listen, you will never in your life appreciate grace until you appreciate who you were before you were saved. If you don't understand that you, have, you were depraved, if you don't understand that every part of you was tainted by sin, there was nothing in you good, nothing in you righteous, nothing in you to earn or deserve the grace of God, until you understand who you were, you'll never appreciate grace. Remember Israel? Remember the nation of Israel? And God chose them, did he not? Why did God choose Israel? Did he see some, you know, some good people down there on earth? And what we read in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy says this. Let me read it to you. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, Israel, because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you. God didn't look down at Israel and say, oh, here's a great nation. That's the nation I'm going to pick. Or here's a nation with lots of people, strength and power and numbers. No. Without reason. God didn't choose them because there was something in them, something in them that looked good. They were doing right. God chose them because of something inside of himself. He just chose them because of his Great love. And it's the same for us. What do we read in Romans chapter 5? 
When did God love you? When you were good? When you obeyed him? No, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. It was when we were sinners Christ died for us. That's when he died for us. That's grace. You'll never understand or comprehend or grasp grace until you grasp the fact that you were a spiritual corpse until God came and saved you. We were all under sin, not seeking God. The Bible says, as I quote Paul, our throats were like open graves. Uh, our throats were like po the poison of vipers was on our lips. We were swift to shed blood. There was no fear of God in us. We were depraved. That's grace. When God came to save us and God came to love us. Justification is freely by his grace. Freely, without reason. See, that's why God says, listen, you're not going to come into heaven someday and boast. Because there's nothing in us to boast. We're not going to boast of a thing. We're just going to fall on our knees and say, thank you, God, for your grace. That's why you're there. If you get to heaven, it's all because of God's grace. Now, you did put your faith in Jesus. That's man's part. But I don't want to get into the whole aspect of where did that faith come from right now. But nevertheless, just remember, grace is without reason. That God saved you by his grace. That's justification. That's justification. Declaring you righteous freely by his grace through faith and apart from the law. Get law out of the picture. Get law out of the picture. It's all through faith and by grace. That's what Paul is establishing now. And for the next few chapters, that's what he's going to do. What he does in chapter 4 is he uses now an example of what he just explained. He just explained justification. Now he's going to use Abraham as an example of justification and righteousness that comes through faith. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Well, the Scripture says this, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. The Jews looked at Abraham as someone who was justified by works. They thought if anybody's going to be justified by works, it has to be Abraham. I mean, think of all the good things and all the works that Abraham did to be obedient and leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a, a, a place where he didn't even know he was going, to take his son Isaac up to Mount Sinai to place him on the altar. Think of what Abraham did. If anybody could be justified by works, Abraham would be the one. And so Paul comes now and he says in chapter 4, wait a minute, halt, stop. Abraham was not justified by works. Abraham was justified by believing in God. Everyone is justified that way. There's only one way. It's never, ever works. What did he believe? Well, jump down to verse 18 of Romans 4. He believed a pretty impossible promise <laughs> that God gave to him. Jump down to verse um, 18. It says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope, he believed so became the father of many nations. 
Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since it was about 100 years old. There we go. We have someone older than some of you that are here this morning. 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's Abraham. And Paul is trying to establish the fact that Abraham is an example of righteousness through faith and not works. Abraham is that example. Abraham is that example. He's way beyond years to have a child. Sarah, his wife, is 90 years of age. And yet God says to Abraham and gives him an impossible promise and says, you will have a child and you will be the father of many, many nations. <coughs> Against all hope, Abraham believed God. Against all hope. He knew he couldn't have children. He knew as he looked at his wife, she was not able to bear children. The Bible says her, her womb was dead. Can you imagine? You know, we hear a lot today about fertility drugs. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah, 190 years of age? They go into the doctor's office and they say, Listen, <laughs> what would the doctor say? Come on now. I mean, have some common sense. Why would you even attempt to? have children at your age. And yet it says Abraham believed God. He believed this impossible promise. And because he believed that impossible promise, it says it was credited to him as righteousness. What a faith Abraham had. In verse 20, it says that he didn't waver. Uh, down in verse 21, it says he was fully, fully persuaded in this promise. And it was credited to him as righteousness. But you know, God gives us an impossible promise. Does he not? I, I read uh, verse 25 of chapter 4, and it says this, He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our, for our justification. You see, God asks us to believe an impossible promise. God says, I want, here's what I want you to believe. I, I want you to believe that I left heaven... And I came to earth as a man through a virgin. I want you to believe that. And then Jesus, my son, he grew. And at the end of his life, he was beaten and bruised so badly. He was hung on a cross. And there on that cross, when he died, he died for every sin committed in the entire world. And then he was buried. He was put in a tomb, and a heavy stone was rolled in front of it. But three days later, he comes back to life. That's a pretty impossible promise, is it not? Virgin birth? Resurrection? But God says, believe this, and you will be saved. Believe what my son did on the cross. 
and you are given eternal life. Abraham had an impossible promise against all hope, but he believed. He really did believe. God took him outside and said, look up at the stars. Look at all the stars in the... Abraham, you someday will have offspring numbering the number of stars in the sky. And it says Abraham's faith, it didn't waver. He was fully persuaded that when God made the promise that he would fulfill it. And Abraham believed that promise. Do you believe the promise of God this morning? The promise of God that says that God left heaven. He came to earth. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He was born into this world through the Virgin Mary. He lived a life that was perfect, no sin in him. But then he goes to a cross. Cruel, cruel way of death. Cruel way of execution. To hang on that cross for hours. But while he was hanging, the Bible says he was dying for the sins of the world. That he became a curse for us. He who knew no sin. He really did die. And he was buried in Joseph's tomb. And there in that tomb, he was there for three days. But the Bible says he came to life. Remember, the disciple went and the angel said, he's no longer here, but he's risen. That's a pretty impossible promise. But God says, believe it, and you will be saved. You see, that's the only way to be saved. That's the only way to have a place in heaven to be prepared for you. I trust this morning that you have placed your faith in Jesus. You see, the Bible clearly says that you've sinned against God. You need your sins forgiven. That's the great need of mankind. That's why Paul establishes the fact that we have a great need. We have a problem, Houston. We have a real problem. And sin is our problem. But Jesus, he solved that problem by dying on the cross for your sins. The Bible says acknowledge your sins and trust Jesus to save you. And you're given eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the hope that is ours in Jesus. The hope that comes to us because of faith. The hope, Father, that is given to those who trust and believe this, imp this impossible promise that God has given. Father, we're thankful that it is through faith and it's by grace. Before we leave this morning, I, I, I rarely do this, but I feel compelled to ask you this morning if there might be someone here this morning and uh, some of these things I've said are a little bit new to you. Uh, you didn't really know that uh, you're depraved and you're under sin and you didn't really know that Jesus was the solution. But, um, you know, the Bible says that if we, if we simply come before God and ask him to save us, he'll do that. You see, what you need to do is just confess your sins. You confess your sins. You acknowledge the fact that you have sinned against God. You know, the Bible is clear that we've all sinned and we're under that sin. We've fallen short of God's glory and all that he intends for us to be. God, I'm a sinner this morning. But Father, save me. I ask you to save me by your grace. Save me because of what Jesus did. There on that cross, I do believe. I believe this, this promise that you gave. I believe it. I believe that you really did die for me on the cross. So as best I know how, I trust Jesus. I believe in Jesus. 
and the promise that you've given that my sins can be forgiven. You see, in your own words, say those words to Jesus, and the Bible says that you can have eternal life. I'm going to be standing at the door as you leave, and if you would like to talk to me a little bit later about some of these things, I'd be glad to do so, or you can call. Let me just ask you, um, is there someone here this morning that you believe that you've believed in Jesus this morning for the first time? I know many of you have asked Jesus to come into your life, but maybe this is the first time that you've ever done that. If, if it, you believe this is the first time you've asked Jesus to save you, would you put your hand up? Just put it right down. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more. I know you've seen the crusades where they ask you to come front or do other things. I, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I just would like to know who you are and just so I can pray for you this, this week. Anybody feel that they've asked Jesus to come into their lives today? You know your sins are forgiven. Anybody? Thank you. Someone else? Father, we are thankful this morning for the plan of salvation. It's a plan, Lord, that for us, it's a bit simple to put our faith in Jesus. For you, Father, it cost you a great deal. And so I come before you this morning, Father, thanking you for the wonderful plan of salvation that is through faith and by grace. You are a wonderful, wonderful God. And we thank you for who you are and for the changes, Lord, that, that have been made in our lives as a result of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take your hymn books, please. Turn to hymn number 281. Hymn number 281. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Let's stand together. We'll sing all four stanzas uh, and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> What a wonderful change my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul, which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. Now, before we start stanza two, I'm going to hold us on a couple of those notes, so you got to watch my hand, all right? Watch my hand. We're going to hold on a couple of those notes. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. Sins which were many are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. There's a light in the valley, death now for me. 
says Jesus came into my heart. <coughs> says Jesus into my heart. Says Jesus into my heart. Says Jesus came into my heart. Floods of for my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart. Now on the last stanza, uh, the instrumentalist, you follow us through this, uh, through this first stanza, but drop out during the refrain, okay? You're going to drop out during the refrain, but start us off with the first stanza. I shall go there to dwell. I shall go there to dwell in that city I know. Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy, onward I go. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. Father, we thank you for those changes, many, many changes. Father, we may be a long way from who we should be, but we are so thankful for your grace, thankful for your grace that has saved us from our sins. Father, as we go from this place, I pray that you might help us to rejoice in that grace, in that grace that was freely given. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> there you go, Don. The big four was up there on the screen. <laughs> How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Enjoy the rest of the